Hello, and welcome to the Aaron Evans Podcast. This podcast is devoted to people who want to love, listen, and live a little better. I'll be sharing my musings as a life coach, a mother, a yogi, an entrepreneur, and I'll be interviewing some of the most inspiring people that I know that are leaving the world a little better than how they found it. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. If you want to stay in touch, you can follow me on Instagram at Aaron underscore Evans. Buckle up and thank you for tuning in. What I miss is I miss who I was before he got ill. And I spent a lot of time wondering, who would I be now? I think I'd be braver. I'm not sure. I think I'd be, I would have done more writing by now. I would have done a lot of other things, right? And so I grieve for that as well, for, cause you know, part of me's gone as well and won't come back. I'm fundamentally different mm. than I was. Well, I get to sit across from someone who's been a big part of my life. She is one of my mother's really dear friends, a highly respected woman, and we are so graced to be in her presence. So thank you for being here, Lori Charche. Well, thank you, Erin. Lori, tell me about you. Well, I'm Lori Charche. I'm just sliding into my sixth decade and, and trying to adjust my head to that because I think in my heart I'm 35 and in my head I'm 45 and in the mirror I'm quite stunned at what I see. So just trying to get used to that. I'm a registered nurse, which is how I got to meet your mom, is through my healthcare career. And I'm married to an engineer, which makes life a little bit challenging and anyone who lives with an engineer will know why and we have a 27 year old son who is still finding himself despite how many times I've pushed him to hurry up and get to that end destination and I'm the grieving mother of a son that we lost seven years ago last week. And tell me about the experience of grief and how you deal with it. I, I guess I want to preface it Erin by saying that you know, what I've come to learn over the last seven years is that grief is a very different experience for everyone. In those first days and months and years, all I could do was focus on putting one foot in front of the other. One of the things that surprised me the most about grief was how heavy it was, the sheer weight of it. There were times where I thought, I literally can't stand up from this chair, right? So learning how to carry that more comfortably has, has been a challenge. But the way that I dealt with it is the way I deal with just about everything else in my life. I talk about it and I write about it. I find that you know, if you can say it out loud or if you can put it down on paper, it takes away some of the power that it has over you and, and helps you to sort of gain a little bit of perspective. I um, have excellent friends that um, were very supportive during the five years that Jordan was ill and then after his death as well. Yoga was really important. I had done yoga before um, sort of in fits and spurts, but I found when I was dealing with Jordan's mental illness that I really needed to go back to yoga. And I think the breath work that you learn there is probably what saved me, that reminder of shoulders down, deep breath in, clear your thoughts. I was afraid to go back to yoga 
after Jordan died, I thought I cannot, like, and it was Shavasana. I was thinking, I can't go back to yoga because I know when we're in Shavasana, I will burst into tears, right? So I went back to my yoga instructor and she said, well, that would be perfectly all right. You wouldn't be the only one in the class. And so yoga was important. And music. I do a lot of music therapy. I have certain playlists that I play when I'm trying to deliberately have some grieving space or when I'm trying to get happier or I have music I play when I'm trying to write. So music is really important. But I'm grateful every day that we have Lucas. He keeps us from simply being survivors and helps us to, like, we're still parents, right? So really grateful that we have him. Mm-hmm. Do you feel Jordan around? I do. Not as often as I would like. I thought I would dream about him all the time, and it has happened rarely, but they've been really powerful, where I've woken up in the morning convinced that, you know, we had had a conversation. I feel his presence in different places, feel it a lot at the lake. There's a special bay at the lake where we spread his ashes, and even before we had done that, I can feel him there. I think everyone sort of finds a symbol to hang on to, and for me it's crows which is ridiculous who loves crows well I love crows because I had an experience I went out to see a a dear friend in Vancouver in the early days after Jordan had passed and I had a incident with a crow on the beach and I thought well that's just weird that this crow sat there beside me for like an hour and a half and I went back and I read about crows and and what it means to have a crow as your spirit animal and so now you know, it's kind of a great symbol to have because every time I see one, I think, oh, Jordan, and I smile and carry on. Whenever I see crows, I think about my grandparents that passed away. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Always. Yeah. For my dad, it was, it's white rabbits is what he, when the white rabbits run across his lawn, he goes, oh, there's mom, there's mom. So yeah, Aww. for my sister, it's white feathers that she finds. So I think everyone searches for something that helps them stay connected to that spiritual side. Yeah. And tell me about Jordan. Oh, Jordan was an amazing kid. He was, well, beautiful and smart and athletic. And he excelled at school. He excelled at every sport he ever tried. He was funny and kind and his cousins adored him. And then uh, in, when he was heading into his second year of university, he made Dean's List his first year of university. And then something was just kind of off that summer. And when he went back to school for that second year, he wasn't coping. He seemed to be really depressed. And he had a year of depressed and not being able to get off the couch. And and then uh, had his first um, psychotic break that following summer. And I don't think they ever truly landed on a label that fit, whether it was bipolar or schizoaffective. All I know is we just struggled to find any kind of medication or therapy that would help him. And he just got very ill, very fast and progressively worse. My memories of him was that he was a very bright boy. So smart. Too smart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He was younger than I was, but I was like, it seems like he's older than me. Oh, yeah. He knows more than I know. He was, you know, the academic top 10 in high school. And yeah, he was a very, very bright kid. Mm -hmm. 
And how do we honor Jordan's life? I've been doing some reading. Um, I go through phases, I think, over the last seven years and dive into different, like, the places that I need to fix, right? And I'm really struggling with how do we honor him? How do we find, is there a way to find meaning, right? Used to really annoy me, the people who are like, um, well, he died for a reason or, you know, what is your purpose, you know, now these, and I was like, there is no reason that you can give me that would justify having that kid taken from my life, right? And that really annoyed me. And maybe that works for some people, that message, but boy, I was having a lot, I struggle with finding gratitude for him being gone so that I can be strong or whatever the message was. But I discovered David Kessler over about a couple of months ago, and he'd done research with Kubler-Ross with the uh, five stages of grief, which was always taught as being very linear, and I don't subscribe to that either. But he's now lost a son at 21, and what he's writing on now is how to find meaning. And that meaning doesn't mean that you have to be grateful or even accepting. It just means how do you figure out a way to move forward and honor the person that you've lost. So that's where I'm working on, Aaron. Greg, my husband, has done more than me. He has dived into a legacy around trying to change the healthcare system, particularly emergency services for mentally ill. And he's been on uh, patient advocacy groups. We participated in the action plan for the Saskatchewan Mental Health you know, we participated in the One Voice event and shared Jordan's story for the Neural Health Project. Trying to remember him for the memories and and making it okay for people, like right from the beginning, to not be afraid to say his name and to share memories and to talk to us about it, because that's really important, right? Mm-hmm. And it keeps him alive. Very much, hearts. yeah. And how about Lucas? Oh, my introvert. He's... I think he's okay. He's never been one to share his feelings. And so he would have been 20 when Jordan died and probably 15 when Jordan started to have issues, right? So he had a lot of years where mom and dad were totally focused on Jordan to the point where grade 11, we're all surprised. Lucas has a learning disability we have to deal with, right? Oops. Sorry, kid, should have been paying attention. He doesn't like to talk about Jordan. They were very different personalities. One was an extrovert and one's an introvert. And they were into different... It was like Lucas set out from the beginning to do everything opposite of his brother. If Jordan liked hockey, then I'm going to like soccer, right? Like just typical sibling stuff. He does stuff without ever talking about it. Like last week was the anniversary, right? And he was leaving to go the cabin to go back home to work on the Sunday night and I said oh dear are you sure you can't book time off this week it's going to be a beautiful week nope nope and then the next thing I knew he was back up he said yep there isn't a lot of work so I told Billy I wanted to be up here so he was there without saying I know it's the anniversary I know you need me here mom and Mm -hmm. so yeah he's finding his way yeah as we all do I remember um, a memory of Lucas when he was really small. We were getting wood at some cabin, and he kept saying, you know, I rake my mummy. You know, I really rake my money, mummy. And I remember my dad and I for years just were like, you know, I that rake my mummy. That was probably Waskasu. That'd be my, that's where I think we would have crossed paths, would have been at Waskasu, yeah. Yeah. 
And how you are a mother and you are a friend and writer, how do you show up on the hard days? I have a few people that I really trust, where if it's a really hard day, I will tell one of them, I am really, I don't know what's happened, but I am really blue or I am really struggling today. And they'll kind of watch out for me and make sure I don't do anything stupid. But I'm the queen of compartmentalization and always have been, right? Um, just we will put that in a box, right? And we will deal with this problem over here. And then later on, I will find time and open that box and deal with that, right? And I don't know, you just, are you talking about that wonderful B word balance? I don't think I have it at all. I always worked way too much, but I've always had the fort, really fortunate to have had jobs that had flexibility in the schedule so that, yeah, maybe I worked every Saturday morning for four hours, but it meant that I was going to the swimming lessons at daycare on Friday mornings or that I always made sure I was dropping them off right into the classroom one day a week and picking them up right after school so I could see, you know, how are they interacting with the kids? What is the teacher feeling about things? And, you know, just always tried and, you know, or being able to leave to tie the skates at hockey camp, right? Mm -hmm. I, I hope I found the right balance. You always feel so much tremendous guilt over it, right? Yeah. What if I had done that differently? Yeah. I think you already answered this question, but how has this event created areas of advocacy for you in the community, at work, with your friends? So in, in the community, we've as I tried to move the provincial government towards a better way of caring for mental health, to put more money to mental health. Um, I really, honestly, the one thing I'd like to achieve before I leave this earth is to change the way we, there has to be a separate emergency for mental health patients, right? Um, time and time again, um, we've talked to other families that have the same experience we do. Like when you're standing there in line with a kid who's in distress or psychotic and you wait and you wait and you wait. Other countries excel at having um, a third door option, it's called, for the acutely ill, mentally ill patients. We have to do more in the community and not bring them into hospital. I, I like to think that I had a good understanding and empathy towards people with mental illness before Jordan, but I probably, to be honest, didn't. But one of the things I started to change was to be open obviously with my management team, but to bring in things like the mental health first aid course for the staff in a couple of the departments that I was looking after. And I don't think there's anything else I've done in my career where I got 100% positive feedback. They're dealing with it at home, they're dealing it with themselves, or the reason that we were doing it to have them say, okay, I now have an understanding of why so-and-so acts that way at work, right? It's not about me, it's about them. I will try and be more sympathetic. You know, trying to reduce stigma. I went, you know, I've gone and talked to a few groups. My niece had me come to a youth group she belonged to at university, and we went one night and talked to the kids there about depression and anxiety and how important it is to ask for help and to and to talk to somebody about it. And mm -hmm. I, that is one area I think there's been a change um, since Jordan became ill. You know, Bell Let's Talk, I think, added a lot to the conversation. People are a little more open and honest about it. 
now we just need to get services in place to help them when they do mm-hmm. say, hey, I have issues going on. Yeah. it's It seems to be the movement, right, with this uh, gender normative speaking. Now we're being more yeah. inclusive and Black Lives Matter. Right now it's coming to the forefront. We can't brush things under the rug anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and when you have someone like Ed Sheeran, I was just watching a pod or a video uh, program with him in it where he's openly talking about, you know, when I'm in crowds, I have anxiety, and I and and I think, oh, okay, isn't that a great role model, right? This, you know, young, enormously successful person who's still saying, but that's not how I feel, and and this is what I do to try and manage that, right? Mm-hmm. Makes it okay for some other kid who's at home to say, okay, maybe I should mm-hmm. go and talk to somebody about that. Yeah, and there was a movement for a while about not medicating, whatever it was, depression, Mm. anxiety. People were saying, oh, doctors are giving out pills right, left, and center. And for some of my friends I know that struggle with depression who talk about getting off their meds, I'm like, it is a chemical imbalance in your brain. (laughs) And it's important. There's a reason we have invented these medications to support. Yeah. Yeah. What gives you the, the most amount of joy in your life? I would say my dog, but that would offend my kids. So I better say my kid first. <laughs> I, that's a tough one, Erin, because I'm not sure I feel joy. I feel happy. And I know when I started feeling happy again, when I was able to start. I remember the first time I laughed after Jordan died. And I remember feeling remembering the first time I felt peace the first time I was like happy and there's lots of times now where I can you know go out and have a great evening and have fun and think oh I'm happy and this was great I don't think I'm at the point yet where I feel joy anymore Mm -hmm. and one of the things you talk about you know what does grief mean I think it's it's very different to me when you lose a child like I've lost my mom to cancer a few years ago and I miss her right but she had a full life and when I miss her the most is like on my birthday or Christmas or right and I have my sisters and we talk about but it's not the same as losing a child because not only have I lost that physical presence I've lost the future. He would have graduated. He would have married. He would have had a job and kids. And so there's just that incremental grief. Every time you hit a milestone or you see someone you went to high school with who's reaching that milestone, right? And so I have all of that stuff going on. And it's much more complicated because we had like five years of just It was horrific dealing with his mental illness because he was so ill and and I look at that and I think I I had a point to this when you asked about joy but because what I miss is I miss who I was before he got ill and I spent a lot of time wondering who would I be now I think I'd be braver I'm not sure I think I'd be I would have done more writing by now I would have done a lot of other things right and so I grieve for that as well for because you know part of me's gone as well and won't come back I'm fundamentally different Mm. than I was there's a piece of your heart missing yeah however that brave piece it's like now's the time to be brave 
and now you've got so much material to work with. <laughs> I know it's not good. We don't like it. Yeah. Uh, I've often heard uh, you you climb this mountain so you can teach someone else how to climb it. Unfortunately, you're the one that has to climb it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's really powerful, and thank you for being so honest about that. Mm-hmm. I've heard grief described a lot like waves and at first it mm. comes in like a set of waves that like knock you down and knock you down and knock you down and at the farther you go along it, you still get hit but the there's a break in this set of waves. You find that? Yeah. Yeah. It's so inconsistent, mm-hmm. right? And so sneaky, right? It's not even like you gear up for the big days like, you know, his anniversary of his death or his birthday's coming up next week. And you kind of prep yourself. And those days, I find, are usually okay. It's the ones that catch you off guard, right? Because you were walking down the aisle of Safeway and you see something that, oh, you know, you reach for something and you realize, oh, Jordan and I were the only ones that ever ate that, so I'm not going to buy that, right? Or just a song or it's just amazing how it sneaks up on you, Mm -hmm. right? And just... Triggers. 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 Oh, triggers, triggers. And it's hard to... Yeah, and you have to live and carry on. You can't avoid every trigger. Before COVID, when we started working at home, of course, I work at the hospital where Jordan received a lot of his treatment, right? And talk about triggers. I had to, like, every day see that emergency department and then see that mental health wing that he was in, right? And it was... I thought, well do I park somewhere else? Like it was just to read, like, but I had to walk by those to get to my office. And I thought, okay, you're going to have to figure this out. Right. And so I started listening to a morning show on the radio and uh, would just listen to that on my, just distract myself on the way in. Yeah. Do you still do that? Listen to something as you pass? I actually have to say out loud, just stop, stop thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Take a breath. And and that works, Mm -hmm. right? You can, train your brain to I know <laughs> to avoid it to avoid Avoidance. yep yeah box put it back <laughs> in the box it's funny that you say that because it's a very masculine thing to be able to put things in <laughs> compartments and that's probably why you've been so successful at your career not saying men are more successful but you're very successful at what you do and that's likely why that you can I'm manage. a problem solver Erin yeah. give me a problem I will unpack it and, <laughs> and who is your biggest inspiration I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by people who are, have done like amazing things with their career that inspire me or who are dealing with their own, you know, hardships and challenges that inspire me. And back to this idea of you being brave, if you were being super audacious and brave, what do you want to create in the world? If I had, a, if I was just brave all the time and not judgmental and fearful I would quit my job and actually write right write. the world needs her to write can you please send her a message yeah so you know where you're headed I hope so I get such pleasure out of it um it still surprises me that people find meaning in it I was really surprised at um folks who reached out uh, about the blog I wrote after Jordan and and that was a monologue not a dialogue I did not open it up to co- to comments whatsoever I learned how to turn comments off with the very first comment I got I thought nope nope <laughs> too vulnerable don't need don't need critique right now but yeah 
I hope you do it. All your friends are rooting for you. Mm, thank yeah. you. And all the mothers no pressure. and people. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> what is the greatest advice you've ever received? The greatest advice I ever received was from my dear friend, Sandra, who I was reporting to at the time. And I was working on a project that was really challenging with some really challenging individuals. And I walked out of a meeting and went to debrief with her and I was so upset, just so upset. And she looked at me and she said, you need to stop. Stop giving them that power over you. Stop reacting that way. And I've never forgotten those words. And I share it with all managers that I talk to. Don't get emotionally invested. Don't give them that. Don't get upset, right? Don't give them that power. Figure out how we're going to solve this problem, right? How do we make this situation better? Yeah. Um, I go back to that a lot. Yeah, it kind of goes back to what you said about if I wasn't so judgmental and fearful. Yeah. I don't know what you meant by that, but what I assume you're meaning is is what the world is thinking about you and yeah. how they'll perceive what you're putting out into the world. And that's piece of that's a piece of it. Don't yeah. give them that power. Like, oh, mm -hmm. no, because, of course, my first reaction is I handled the meeting wrong. I, you know, I didn't do this. I haven't. They're right. I'm big screw up. Right. No. Right. Stop. Yeah. Don't talk about yourself. And Brene Brown does a lot of that work. Do you know? Love. Yeah. Love Brene Brown. She talks a lot about the messages that we send, you know, the message I'm sending myself is, right? And it's, boy, you can catch yourself and think, oh, yeah, there I go again. There's that little script that runs that says, you're not worthy, you're not enough, yeah. right? Somebody else would do this way better. Why would they hire you when they could hire so-and-so? Yeah. Mm -hmm. This morning I knocked over a cup of water and I was like, you, an idiot. Yeah. And I thought, Aaron, what is, who said that to you? <laughs> What is your favorite song? I love music, all kinds of music. And as I said earlier, I've got different playlists that I go to. The song that makes me smile is Anna Kendrick's version of Cups. Me too. And I chose to use that when Greg and I were getting ready to deliver Jordan's eulogy after the funeral. And I look back at it now and I think, well, that's pretty irrelevant irreverent right I'm sure people were like what the heck how is that appropriate for a few but I just wanted a signal that we're gonna miss him but that this is about celebrating him right and so now every time I hear it or it comes on the radio which doesn't happen very often it just always seems to come on and you just it makes me happy to hear it which is bizarre because mm -hmm. it was the funeral song but but I know it has a similar effect on one of my nieces too and she says every year on the anniversary it somehow comes to her that song so yeah it's one of my favorite songs oh when I'm done yeah yeah <laughs> and what is your favorite book my favorite book is Sue Monk Kids The Secret Life of Bees mm -hmm. it is just this masterful lyrical story about loss and love and the power of women and it's one of the few books where as you're reading it, I was actually copying passages out of it. I just love the book and how they talked about grief and spiritual side of grief, etc. Mm -hmm. I love Anne Lamott, anything Anne Lamott has ever written. 
Um, the first book of hers I ever read was Bird by Bird, which was uh, a guide to learning how to write. But she's done so many other things. She's done fiction. One book talking about being a single mom to her son while she was a recovering alcoholic. And she would describe like having, you know, that out of body screaming, ranting rage. And I would go, yeah, and how, then how guilty she would have is, yes, yes, exactly that. I just finished having that with my kid, right? And then, you know, as, and now in these last few years, she's done a lot of writing about loss and grief and it just really resonates and of course anything Brene Brown I started when Jordan was ill um, and my mom had cancer was going through cancer treatment and Lucas was we were trying to figure out his learning disability and work was insane and one day I somebody said I don't know how you're still standing and I thought I don't know how I'm still standing either and how am I going to keep standing? How do people build resilience? And so I started to do research. Is there something I can do, right, to sort of be able to hold all this um, up? And I stumbled into the research that Brene Brown was doing on wholehearted living and vulnerability and how to build resilience. And, and I just thought, yes, yes. And what, if you do have a favorite quote, what is your favorite quote? I have a quote from Megan Devine, and it's, some things in life cannot be fixed, they can only be carried. Mm. And that really resonated with me as I was trying to figure out how to carry things forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you don't have the choice to crawl into bed and put the cover over your head and never get out of bed. A lot of people <laughs> no. need you. Yeah. And if somebody wanted to read anything that you've written, how could they find it? If they Google Lori Shard, say the blog pops up. Okay, I will put it in the show notes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for taking the time. It has been an absolute pleasure for me oh. to see your heart. <laughs> oh, and a pleasure to see you, beautiful girl. Thank you. Nothing brings me closer to the present moment than being in the space with someone as they share something so intimate like the death of their child. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. I hope this conversation has left you a little softer and a little more open. I love you. Until next time, the beauty in me sees the beauty in you.